Well, praise the one from whom all blessings flow. Thank you for raising your voices to the one, the source of the ultimate blessing. Let me ask you about something in the opposite of blessing. Have you ever seen someone else get consequences? Consequences, and it impacted you. It, it helped you go a different path. Maybe you saw someone else get pulled over, and you adjusted your cruise control to only being five miles over the speed limit. For those of you who have older siblings, did they ever get in trouble and you saw the impact what they had to go through and then you said, I'm not doing that? I am the oldest in my family, so there were uh, plenty of examples for my other siblings to see. But I did often look to older kids and try to learn from them. Uh, One of the things I remember learning was back at the swimming pool. We had a really nice local pool for our size of town. And bigger kids would always go up into the diving well, the, the different uh, diving boards. And we would like to watch the, the bigger kids jump off. And, and I remember one summer, kids were doing cannonballs, flips, and there turned into a new trend, the new trend of belly flops. Were, were you ever encouraged as a kid to do a belly flop? Did anybody else try to entice you to, to do a belly flop? Well, well, that summer, I just remember kids were trying to get other kids to do a belly flop from the, the highest board they could. And one poor, yeah, one poor soul took the bait. And he jumped off one of the higher boards and smacked the water so hard you could hear it across the whole pool. And he came out of the pool and half of his body was red and he's crying Here's a big kid crying, his body red, and he did not go back to the the diving well all day long. And all the kids are trying to entice others, do a belly flop, do a belly flop, do a belly flop. I knew right then and there, I don't have to do that. To know I don't want to do that. Kids are always trying to entice other kids to do foolish things and then enjoy the sight of it. What we see often as we follow Christ, as we seek to live for him, we can oftentimes see others making foolish choices. And we want to have wisdom and say, I don't need to experience that to go a a different direction. And today, we're going to consider all that the Lord has for us to gain wisdom as we consider the, the consequences that false teachers are going to experience so that we hold fast to Christ And continue to walk a path of wisdom. You see, we're continuing our annual theme of of hope for everyday life. We want to have the hope that we have in Christ to impact our everyday life. That we can bear fruit, grow in our faith, and, and apply wisdom to everyday situations. Because our hope, our hope is found in Christ. And false teachers are gonna give the exact opposite of that hope. We're studying 2 Peter, the theme of growing in grace and knowledge. We want to grow in having wisdom and discernment and avoid the foolish paths that false teachers encourage individuals to go down. Last week, we talked about the characteristics of false teachers, which was a very uh, robust explanation of our our sinful nature, our our old man, uh, a way of seeing a way of loving, a way of living. 
that's ultimately proud and described as animalistic, where your belly is your God. Sort of like fools trying to coax you to do a belly flop, even though they don't want to do one themselves. But we will see that false teachers are not just safe on the side of a pool. They are destined for a fate worse than a hard impact with water. Look at 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3 as we lead in here to our text this morning. False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many, many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. What we're going to see is there is a significant consequence for false teachers, and that's a huge contrast to the truth and the blessings, the blessings that come from Jesus Christ. So today we're going to finish off chapter 2 as we see the emphasis on the consequences for false teachers. With that in mind, would you please turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 17 through 22. If you need a Bible, there is one under the chair in front of you. You can turn to page 184 in the back section. You'll find there in the New Testament, 2 Peter chapter 2. So please follow along as I read 2 Peter chapter 2 starting in verse 17 and ending in verse 22. Again, talking about false teachers. These are springs without water and mists driven by a storm, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the, the, the ones who live in error promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if after they've escaped the defilements of the world, by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. With our time this morning, let's look at three reasons that the consequences for false teachers should cause us to continue to embrace the truth of Christ. You see, number one, you can be rewarded. You can be rewarded, but false teachers are going to be revealed and ultimately punished. You see, false teachers are full of empty promises. Springs without water, mists driven by a storm, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. A spring is something you expect to have water. A storm, you're hoping for a good rain. 
It's kind of like when you go to a busy gas station and you finally remember which side of the car your gas tank is on, right? And it's so busy and you line up on the right one and you, you see an opening and you get to it. And what happens when you pull up? You see that little yellow bag that's on the gas nozzle, right? And you're like, ah, oh, there was supposed to be gas here. It was open and there's no gas here. And now you have to find a way to get back in line. False teachers look really good on the surface. That's why we have to be so discerning. But they actually have nothing good to offer. But they do not do things that are are harmless. There are consequences. They malign the way of truth. And so false teachers will be judged just as angels were. As 2 Peter 2.4 says, If God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the pits of darkness reserved for judgment we see that false teachers are going to have the same fate. One of the fascinating things about hell, something that I've been reading that just kind of like stood out to me, is hell is a place described um, as eternal fire, but also a place of absolute darkness. In other words, there's nothing good, nothing pleasurable, nothing glorious about it, and that is the end of the angels who sinned and false teachers. Jude emphasized, just as Peter did, that these false teachers will come up from within the church and they're hidden and they they have to be revealed. Jude, verses 12 through 13 says, these, again talking about false teachers, are, are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves. Shepherds are to provide food for others but they're all about themselves. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. That is a sentence right there. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. One of my prayers is that as followers of Christ, we see false teachers coming a mile away and we know how deceptive they are. So if they do begin to deceive us, we're aware of it and we can turn. When you're enticed by false teachers, you want to say in your heart, you have nothing for me. You're an empty cloud, a tree with no fruit, a a spring with no water. You're offering me what is to delight me, but you have nothing. Maybe it's listening to music that glorifies immorality or just is full of the boastful pride of life. You have nothing for me that's really going to satisfy me. Or maybe it's a movie or a YouTube video or or someone twisting the Bible to, to say things that the Bible doesn't say. And followers of Christ can say quickly, you, you have nothing for me. You're empty. Instead of, tell me more. Maybe there's something good here for me. A spring with no water is at its core a lie. Especially if there's a sign that says, get your water here. You see, we are defined by something different than error and lies. Followers of Christ walk in the truth. Psalm 86, 11 says, Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. 
Unite my heart to fear your name. There's a, a reverence, a respect of the Lord. And we're, we're governed not by our desires, by, but, but what is true. What is true about him. What, what gives honor to his name. And the truth produces fruit that's tangible and real and not empty. The Bible actually describes the truth from God as refreshing water. A stream that actually has water. Proverbs 13, 14 says it like this. The, the, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Or Proverbs 18, 4. The, the words of a man's mouth are, are deep waters. The, the fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. So it's good for us to ask ourselves, how are we doing growing in discernment? Do I see the teaching that is often all around us in our culture that is man-centered and empty? Are there any lies that you are tempted to believe that this this is going to be delicious or refreshing to me, but it's really empty? Satan is the father of lies. He wants you to walk in things that are not true, but things that you think will satisfy you. If you're struggling with anger or worry or despair, one of the first things you can do is say, what are the sources of truth that I'm listening to? Is there anything that's been deceiving me, enticing me, but cannot deliver in my life? Are there any lies I'm believing? One of the lies that surfaces over and over and over again is, I should be able to have something I want right now. Immediate gratification. I want comfort right now. I want relief right now. I want respect. And I want it right now. And I'm going to get it. And as I try to get it and go down a path that's not focused on the Lord I experience more and more emptiness, trying to use my own ways to get what can never truly satisfy me. False teachers are going to reinforce that you deserve that. It's, it's, all, it's all about you. Get what you can get out of this life. You see, though, Followers of Christ, we have a different hope. Followers of Christ look forward to heavenly rewards. You see, Peter wants us to look ahead. We're going to be be, um, uh, ready to look at the day of the Lord soon and looking way ahead. But that's going to help us recognize false teachers that are right in front of us. So we consider their end. And we're motivated by the end that Jesus promises for those who trust in him. Just consider how beautiful and how wonderful what the Lord actually has in store for those who love and trust him. Peter began his letter with it in 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has has caused us to be born again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. As followers of Christ, we are, we are born again, but we're not born yesterday. We're to be wise and discerning and see false teaching that really wants to masquerade as that which is good and enticing. We're to know our inheritance is more valuable than anything anyone can offer me on earth. We don't want to be like Esau who sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. We don't want to gain the whole world and forfeit our soul, live for earthly treasures, and for the immediate gratification of our senses and fleshly desires. We want to live for something greater than ourselves. As Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a, he's a rewarder. He's a rewarder of those who seek him. There are blessing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. That motivates us. But we recognize that he is our ultimate reward. And he's not empty. Consider how the false teachers are contrasted with Christ. In John 7, 37, Jesus stands up at a feast at a place where people are are delighting and feasting. And what does he say about himself? On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. False teachers can't change our hearts to be a source of life that blesses other people. False teachers want you to use other people to get what you want out of life. And the Lord's, the truth of who the Lord is, is totally different. He causes us to get living water from him and then be a conduit of living water rather than empty cloud to other people. So how do we apply this? Well, just think about your relationships. Think about the people that you impact every day that are around you, in your home, at work, in your neighborhood. Ask yourself, when I interact with them, is my first thought process, how can I show them Christ? How can I be refreshing towards them? Whether they deserve it or not, How can I lift them up and be nourishing towards them and and give them something good because of the goodness that I have received? Or do we think, well, what can I get from them? Or how are they in the way of what I want to get? Are they difficult? And so I want to avoid them to go after what I want. False teachers are going to lead you to focus primarily on your desires. And it's tricky. It's really deceptive, even for those who know the Bible well, those who've been following Christ for their whole life. Because it's our good desires that are used as enticement. 
something good that we place above God can actually enslave us. You see, as a follower of Christ, we can actually be servants of righteousness. But false teachers are enslaved by their own desires. They're marked by arrogance and sensuality. In verse 18, he says, For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, emptiness, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. One of the patterns of false teachers is they are quite confident, arrogant. If they don't act like they believe it, how is someone else going to believe them, that they have good information to, to help them get what they want out of life? They seem like they have it all together, and they know it all. And so new believers are very susceptible to teaching that's man-centered, that really sounds good, because we all want to feel confident, follow someone who seems like they know where they're going, and we all want to experience things we enjoy. But in contrast, followers of Christ are marked with humility and not arrogance. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. At the proper time. The Lord brings rewards. He exalts and lifts up. But very rarely have I found in the Christian life that it's marked with instant gratification. Living with sensuality often offers instant gratification. Humility says, humility says, I can wait. I can wait for the Lord's blessing. Arrogance says, I deserve this right now. God's word says something very different. Philippians 2, 3 to 8 says, do, do nothing. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look at your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And as we think about the truth of the gospel of Christ, he is what motivates us to do so. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't leverage his exalted position, but he emptied himself taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men, being humbled in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Genuine teaching will consistently challenge you to grow and change to become more like Jesus. To trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior and then to add to your faith, to grow, to, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, to, to put off the old man, to be aware of the self-deception in your own heart and renew your mind by the Holy Spirit and put on what actually is pleasing to God, bearing fruit of righteousness. That's why we spent so much time unpacking the qualities from 2 Peter 1.8. These qualities are yours, and they're increasing. We're growing. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's just not just book knowledge. It's not an intellectual exercise. To know Jesus and to have the, the true knowledge of Christ is to become more like him. To be constrained, to be controlled by his love for you so that who he is and what he says governs you. And false teachers will say, well, that's, that's too constrictive. That's too oppressive. That's going to truncate who you are. It's not going to be good for you. And false teachers offer a false freedom. They say, be free from that constraint of the Bible and let your heart guide you. 2 Peter 2.19 says, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For but by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. False teaching is subtle. False teaching will say, the Lord wants you to be happy, to be comfortable. False teachers might say, don't let anyone teach you anything from the Bible that makes you feel bad. God never wants you to feel bad. False teachers will minimize the sinfulness of man every time. And when we read the Bible, we don't often feel great because it doesn't lift us up, but it brings us to a place of humility so that we look to him who will lift us up. False teachers entice people, and the bait they use is freedom. It sounds so freeing. Jesus came and died for you so that you can live however you want. Let us sin so that grace might increase. Let's sin more so we can experience more of God's grace. God's grace, his, he covers it all, so it's okay to live how you want to live. And Paul would respond, may it never be. They offer life vests that are really cement shackles. And they're deceptive because they're constructed from what we want in our heart. What we want is not bad. But we want it too much. And it transitions to I want it to I must have it. I deserve it. And then I become captured by my own desires. Romans 6.16 highlights this. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you're slaves of the one whom you obey? What are you going to obey? The Lord's desires or your desires? Either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed and having been freed from sin, you're freed from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. You know how we often are battling sin and we consider ourselves dead to sin. We also want to consider ourselves slaves of righteousness. 
I, I can't do that. I'm, I'm bound by what is right in God's eyes. I'm constrained, not by my own desires, by what God wants and what he says is good. Let me just ask you to apply this to your own, your own heart, your own life. Just think about something in your life. Uh, how is your flank open? Where might you be vulnerable? What is something good that a false teacher might try to entice you with? To try to enslave you with something that you want. Maybe you really want a really organized home. A perfect schedule. Maybe you want to always be right. Or to, to, to really to look good. Or, or to really look to, to be someone that everybody goes to. Think about a person who wants to have their home organized and just perfect. And everything revolves around that. It's a good thing, right? But pretty soon, not spending time with family, not showing hospitality to your neighbors because you got to have everything just right. Having a clean, organized house becomes all-consuming, the shackle that all you can think about. It's a good thing but it's not God. So think about what your flank might be or what you might be enticed. There's something that you think is good. Good things are never meant to take the place of God. He is our first love, our, our greatest priority. Having things be organized is, is really good. Working hard, being successful, being trustworthy, getting rest, having comfort having support from others. This is, these are all really, really good things. False teachers will say, it is the only thing. It is the best thing. Put it above everything else. And your heart wants to do it so bad because it's good. It becomes your God. And it is not a good God, not a good master. Jesus is our good God, and he is a good master. He says that we have all that we need for life and godliness. Our culture says mankind can supply all that we need. You see, followers of Christ deny themselves. And that is the pathway of true freedom. What is freeing is not living for yourself, not being enslaved to your own desires. Galatians 5.1 says that it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a, a yoke of slavery. And the idea here is that if we've been freed from sin, we need to be very, very wise that we could still function as though we were enslaved. And followers of Christ are wise to know I could still walk a path of being enslaved by my own desires, but Christ freed me. I don't have to do that. Verse 13 in Galatians 5 says, You were called to freedom, but do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, your own desires, but through love serve one another. Freedom to serve others, not to serve self is what the gospel message is all about. Jesus did that at the cross, and he calls us to follow 
him. Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone wishes to come after me, if there's a desire to come after Christ, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you've never trusted Christ, I would encourage you to turn to him today so that you can truly be free and experience all the blessings that he has. You see, we're free from sin, but we're not free to be our own God. Romans 6.22, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God. Again, there's that terminology, I'm controlled by him. Enslaved to God, you derive your benefit. Here's the blessings. Sanctification and the outcome, eternal life, not eternal death. Our master has authority over us. But he is a good master who gives us freedom from living for ourselves that we could experience the true and lasting joy that he can provide. Consider the will of Christ. Consider how Christ models this so well. He says, he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, and I always do the things that are pleasing to him. False teaching will say, please yourself. Jesus models and calls ourselves to deny ourselves and do that which is pleasing to the Lord. False teachers cannot see what truly is good and valuable. But we can continue to pursue what is good, whereas false teachers return to what is worthless. False teachers are actually in a worse state. False teachers seem very confident, but they are in a very precarious position. Notice how Peter ends this section. He says, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. Now this is somber. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. It's a tough passage. It's a tough passage because it talks about words and phrases that are really good. And I think these good phrases speak back to the reality that false teachers rose up from within the church. They knew about the truth of the gospel. They they heard all about who Jesus was. And they rose up from within the church and leveraged that information in a self-serving way. They've been around the body of Christ. They know scripture just as Satan knows the word of God, but uses it to his own agenda. It says they've escaped the defilements of the world. I believe that means that they had a bit of reprieve among the people of God. They had a knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But I believe that means that they had a knowledge about Christ, but they didn't have a saving knowledge of Christ. They knew Christ, but they didn't know him as their Lord and Savior. 
And the text says that they're now in a worse state than before because they, they have all this knowledge and they choose to reject it. There are lots of people who have a PhD in the Bible, but they do not trust the Lord at an elementary level. The text says it would be better if they had not learned the way of righteousness because they have all this information and it's hardened their heart and they've rejected it. And in fact, they're using it for their own purposes. It's, it's kind of like an accountant, an accountant who knows all about the finances of a company, knows all about how money works, and then they embezzle money. They have worse consequences than an employee who makes a mistake on their timesheet. They're held to a higher consequence because they know all this information and they choose to use it in a nefarious way. False teachers know the gospel. They're being handed a holy commandment. And they say, no, thank you. I want to turn to something that is man-centered, that is profane, that is not truly of supreme worth. That's what I want rather than what is holy and good. And the illustration of dogs and pigs is meant to drive this point home in a visceral, gut-wrenching way. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool that repeats his folly. You know, followers of Christ are likened to sheep. And sheep go astray. God's people struggle with idolatry. We struggle with sin. But followers of Christ admit their sin. They can turn back to the shepherd and guardian of their soul. We can respond with humility when someone confronts us about our sin instead of responding with arrogance and just minimizing or ignoring our sin. Often when people respond to being confronted with the commands of the Lord and they don't want to treat the word of God as holy, they just discard it, their true nature is revealed. Matthew 7, 6 says, Do not give to dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and then turn to attack you. You know, we have, a, we have a dog. And we do not give our dog books as a gift. Our dog is not going to say, this is a nice book. I'm, I'm going to take care of this. He's going to tear it in half. He's going to think, this is a nice book. I'm going to take care of it. You know, I, I recently was helping my dog. I thought he had a rat, I'm sorry, a rock in his mouth. And so I went to my dog and I tried to get this, this, this rock out of his mouth because he likes to eat rocks. He's, he's a dog. I don't know. And I began to pull what I thought was a rock out of his mouth and it turns out to be a half-dead rat. And I'm pulling this half-dead rat out of his mouth and I am almost throwing up. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm going to lose it. And, and I, I have the dog by the collar. I pull this tail out. And I'm like, ah! And I'm try, I have rat hands now. And I'm trying to get in the house. I'm just like, and, and I, I, I get the dog in. And he, I can't shut the door because my hands are all gross. And he comes back out and wants to go right back to the rat. And I grab it. I get him inside. I wash my hands. And, and I, I, I pick at the rat with, with some plastic bags. And, and he goes outside and he goes right back to that spot. Being like, that, where's my rat? That's a dog's nature. No human would say, oh, that's tasty. <laughs> no human. 
A human would say that's worthless and gross and disgusting. The contrast with animals is again on display. Last week, we saw how false teaching lead others to function like animals. Men without chests, unwilling and unable to govern their desires in a a biblical Christ-centered way to say, that is not worthy of my time or energy. That's not good. I don't want that. There's nothing good there for me. A false teacher is offering true freedom, but they don't have it. They don't see that not living for yourself is really, really, really good. And the author describes living for yourself in a man-centered way as vomit and mud. But the way of righteousness through knowing Christ is of supreme value where we can see good things and not get deceived so they become our God. Philippians 3, 7 says, whatever was gained to me, whatever is good, these things I view as loss for the sake of Christ. I compare everything to Christ so I know what's valuable. I know what's good. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. And I count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. I want to leave you with these three verses that Peter emphasizes how good our God is. He is not a a charlatan who says one thing and doesn't deliver. He has good things for those who will trust in Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. We have all that we need for life through the knowledge of of who he is. He doesn't want to use us. He wants to bless us and give us the ultimate blessing, not our desires, but he wants to give us himself that supersedes and overshadows and is greater than all of our desires. He gave us his son and he wants us to partake of his divine nature by becoming more like his son. For by these he's granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may partake of the divine nature You get to know him and become more like him. What what greater value could he give to you? Nothing. Having escaped the corruption that's in the world by lust, he wants us to partake of his very nature. No false teacher has that kind of concern for us. They offer a surface level instant gratification that's just based on what we want in the moment. And God offers us and stores up for us so much more. Psalm 31, 19 says, How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. If you've trusted in Christ, you are a child of God. 
Every spiritual blessing in heaven is yours. So let us live out our faith with wisdom and discernment to see false teachers coming a mile away. And let us show the sons of men what is true and what is good. Let's pray. Father God, I pray you would give us a heart of wisdom and discernment. Lord, help us to see the emptiness of false teachers. Help us to see the empty promises of of living for our own desires. Lord, help us compare and contrast everything to Christ. Lord, help us to know your word and not use it for our own ends, but seek to know your word that we might know you better, that we might represent you better, that we might love and trust you more and seek to be a conduit of living water to others. Lord, help us to find our delight in living for you and not for ourselves so that false teachers cannot entice us. Lord, help us to be humble and be aware on the things that we love that are good, that we are tempted to to put above you. Lord, give us wisdom to see that you are our ultimate good and you you have stored up goodness for those who fear you and take refuge in you and live for you and not for ourselves. Lord, help us have the fortitude in a deceptive world to see through the chatter and the noise and live lives of purpose that glorify your son by knowing your son and by living out our faith to show others the glory of Christ. Lord, help us do this even today, this week, and until you return. We pray this in the wonderful, powerful, and delightful name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.